Hello, everyone. I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Lectures Podcast. Today's episode is part of our World of Coffee Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at the event every year. Since you're with us today, I'm guessing you're into podcasts. Do you know about Recap? It's our new podcast offering a brief overview of recent coffee developments in less than five minutes. You can subscribe by following the link in today's show notes. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 World of Coffee in Berlin. Don't miss this year's lecture series that takes place in Warsaw in June. Visit worldofcoffee.org for more information. If you'd like to follow along, you can find the slides for this lecture linked in the show notes below. Okay, let's get started. We're going to jump right in. So, uh, welcome audience for this lecture of Specialty Coffee Transaction Guide as a new price discover tool for the specialty coffee industry. And today we have uh, Chad Trevik as a pre- presenter uh, of founder of Recipro Cafe, Cafe LLC. Uh, after more than two decades working on the roster side of in the specialty coffee industry as a director of coffee, Trevik formed uh, Recipro Cafe, LLC, a consultancy prioritizing uh, mutual benefit in coffee value chain support. Trevik has also spent time gaining a deeper understanding of the financial side of the coffee market. And Chase's goal is to broaden industry understanding of supply and challenges. His focus is to maintain access to green coffee as a raw material while uh, strengthening the entire value chain encouraging uh, the mutuality beneficial relationships. The specialty coffee transaction guide a leading source of in- information about prices being paid for the specialty coffee is one of his current projects. Chad is a long time volunteer at SCA, uh, a past board member. He drives the industry toward transparency and under sources as a treat to specialty coffees, extensive financial challenges in countries where coffee is grown. Okay, here's your chat. Thank you very much. Uh, well, welcome everybody. Good afternoon. It's nice to see you all here. Um, I'm excited to talk about the specialty coffee transaction guide uh, for a couple of reasons. One is because we hear a lot of news about the uh, coffee price crisis and the SCA's response initiative. Uh, uh, Two is as a former coffee buyer for 20 years, I wish that I had had a tool like the one that we are creating with the guide that I could use as a set of alternative price benchmarks to the commodity market. I was under always a lot of pressure by my chief financial officer at the company to pay prices more in line with commodity pricing, even though I knew it was inappropriate for our business. And so this kind of an alternative would have been really helpful. Uh, And we're hearing that it is helpful to the roasters who have already been involved. And then thirdly, uh, super importantly, Uh, I believe the information that we're putting out in this guide has the potential of really empowering the producing community to know and understand the value their coffee could potentially represent to the market. Uh, 
And so when you look at this tool, think about it not just as uh, something for roasters to consider as they're buying coffee, but think about it from the producer perspective, somebody who knows they have a good quality of coffee, knows that they uh, have been receiving a certain price, they'll be able to look at the information in the guide and understand what the upside opportunity is. What more could they earn selling their coffee based on the quality and the quantities of coffees uh, that they have. Uh, and so today I just want to introduce you to the Specialty Coffee Transaction Guide briefly, talk a little bit about some of the uh, initial learnings and, 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 and uh, suggestions that we're getting from the guide related to pricing uh, that the industry has been doing, at least those data donors who are a part of the guide. And I want to make sure that we leave a lot of time for question and answer. So I may go through these slides relatively quickly, showing you different facts and figures that we're learning. Um, but I really hope that at the end, we can have a conversation and you can ask questions and you can make suggestions about how we might make this a more uh, beneficial utility, let's say, for the industry. Uh, what are the things that we could do to make it better? Uh, and don't hesitate to say, go back to whatever slide in the presentation, because it's important that we have the numbers and the information in front of us when we're, when we're having the, the conversation. So first of all, um, who's heard of the Specialty Coffee Transaction Guide? Yeah? It is very simply a tool that is just presenting tables and charts related to pricing information coming from the data that data donors are sharing with us about the FOB pricing of all of the coffees they bought that were above 80 and above, uh, above 80 in the cup. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is create, like I said, that alternative set of benchmarks around how much this coffee is worth to the market. Uh, really very importantly, this is not a perfect tool. This is not a representative tool of the industry at this point. You'll see and understand as we go through the numbers how large a sample size we have and how representative it is. Uh, and a preview. It's not super representative now of big market behaviors. It is very representative now of, uh, let's say, more niche, small company purchasing, uh, uh, selling, and buying behaviors. So with that, this chart I'm sure we're all familiar with, or most of us are familiar with. We've looked at it. We've understood uh, that for a lot of people around the world, particularly those producing coffee, this spells crisis. Uh, this means that the production of coffee is not an economically viable activity for a lot of the people who engage in that activity to support their livelihoods. It's meaning that uh, farmers just from coffee alone are very unlikely to make ends meet. Um, and this is a situation that's not new, but it's a situation that we're talking about more uh, loudly and proudly, perhaps. I don't know if that's the right word, but we're talking about it more openly um, with more confidence because the level got below the psychological level of $1 US per pound. 
Whatever magic it is about that number, it sounded enough alarms that it got people's attention, it got them thinking and wondering what is the alternative, what are some things that we could do to improve the situation. And in my personal experience, uh, I've been an advocate for economic sustainability in coffee for, uh, I'd say, the last 15 years of my career. Uh, it is new to me to have this conversation being had by uh, some members of the barista community, some uh, innovating bloggers that are in the industry. Um, more and more podcasts are talking about this topic. And this is all very, very good news from my perspective because the more people and the more brains we put behind this challenge, the more likely it is we will find a solution um, that is really meant to work toward the preservation of our industry, the preservation of our raw material, the access to different uh, flavor imparting ingredients that are important for us to have in order to be called specialty coffee. Um, because what we're seeing with free market behaviors, what is happening as a natural tendency is the market is gravitating increasingly toward lower cost coffee origins. Those countries that can produce much more fish efficiently uh, or cheaply and therefore offer a lower price to the market, they already represent just five countries, 75% of global supply. Okay, so if we just let this go and we don't recognize that we need to respect and value certain flavor imparting ingredients from other countries more perhaps than others, we will, we will lose that ability to differentiate. So from my personal perspective, the biggest motivating factors for me here are about producer empowerment and about preservation of this thing called specialty coffee that really depends on a diversity of raw material to create uh, these kinds of flavors. Because in reality, if we all only can have coffee coming from five or fewer countries, it's gonna be harder and harder to differentiate ourselves as we go into the future. So. This isn't a necessary problem. Uh, this chart, chart, while it could be uh, initially confusing, and I had somebody misunderstand it yesterday, so I want to make sure I'm very clear about, about what we see here. You can see the lowest line, the blue line, represents the New York commodities pricing about for the period of time, a little bit longer than the period of time represented by the guide itself. The middle line there represents the retail pricing that we're seeing on the low end of those prices that were analyzed in the U.S. market. And the high end obviously then represents the top pricing uh, that we saw and evaluated uh, in the U.S. market for retail prices. Now, what's interesting is that over that period of time, uh, from uh, June 2014 to December 2018, those high-end retail prices went up 18.4%. Who can see what happened to the price of the commodity market for green coffee? It went down 40%. So we're seeing that there is this expanse of uh, value generation happening on the retail side that's not happening on the origin side. And what we're trying to do by leveling the, the, the information playing field, if you will, is empowering producers to know and understand that there is a market out there that values their coffee at a different level. And if they want to achieve that level in the way that they sell their coffee, they have to look for that kind of market and they have to change their commercial partners. Um, but we have to start with sharing this information. And uh, so that's what this, this guide is all about.
In 2017, a representative from Emory University came up to me after I was making a seminar uh, at uh, SCA Expo in Seattle about the cost of production. And the conversation that we had was very interesting because he started to talk to me about this initiative they have at Emory called Transparent Trade Coffee. Transparent Trade Coffee is a program wherein innovating, leading-edge roasters volunteer their information uh, about green prices paid and retail prices. The researchers then aggregate that information with other information from other companies, and they start to calculate what they're calling a return to origin. So basically, of the retail price that that coffee sells for in a store, what percentage of that coffee, of that price, excuse me, stays in the country where it was produced? And that's a, it's a big range today. I mean, that percentage uh, can run from 15% to, let's say, 22% in the, in, in the high-end range, at least according to the data of innovating roasters that Transparent Trade Coffee has worked with. So in this conversation with the representative from Emory, I thought, well, this is all great. I love this, this thing that you have. But it's also very small. And it's also speaking only about this, this, this very top of the quality pyramid, uh, about people who are paying good prices and proud to talk about those good prices. In fact, they're so proud to talk about those good prices that they're happily contributing that information about their purchasing behaviors, putting their names on it, and whatever. My suggestion at that time was that we work on broadening the information that we had. And my approach was to do this through anonymity. And so the professor was a little skeptical. Oh, we're not going to get people to do this. How are you going to get somebody to contrib contribute this information? Roasters are never going to do that. Sellers are going to be uncomfortable doing that. And I had a belief that this anonymity would allow people to feel a bit safer. Um, a little less likely to be exposed for better or worse purchasing behaviors. And so we, we went for it. And uh, in 2018, we assembled a group of leaders in the specialty coffee industry at a Seattle Expo, and we said, would you guys want to do this? Would you be interested? Uh, it, would it be a useful tool? We talked to both sellers and buyers of coffee. And at the end of the day, we ended up with a good set of, of people who said, yeah, we want to do this. We developed a non-disclosure agreement with Emory University, with the research institutions, so that people would feel safe, that their data was secure, it wasn't going to be shared with anyone else. I personally don't even see the data, only the researcher sees the data. And so throughout 2018, we had a lot of conversations with these leading edge uh, data donors who happily contributed their information. In, t in, in December of 2008, we published the first version of the guide, uh, a pilot version. And that version included the, the information from these 21 very gracious, very innovating data donors who said, we want to be a part of this tool. We will contribute our information, and let's see what we learn. And so from there, we started to have more and more conversations because the information that we were able to put out on that first guide was really helpful to both sellers and buyers of coffee. And so we stayed on our path toward uh, increasing the scale and the representativeness of the program. But I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the logos of the first 21 donors who really, uh, without knowing much what was going to happen or how this was going to look, contributed their data, and they've been great supporters, uh, thinkers, and uh, innovators, really driving us to, 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 to keep moving forward. 
you can see the numbers. You've probably already read them while I'm, while I'm sitting here talking. Uh, in the whole guide, what's really interesting to me is that, just look at the 2017-18 number there at the bottom. Uh, it is uh, 5,000 contracts. The low-end uh, price in the information is $1.55. The high-end price is $9.05. Uh, the median price for both years, interestingly enough, is $3. And so we felt like this first data set that included information from two years was really important to us for a couple of reasons. We wanted to see in the context of market movements, commodity market movements, what happened to the prices in the guide. And we also wanted to know from year to year, how would a median price be impacted by the number of data donors? And, and, and could we rely on median pricing to be a good indicator for us? Really? So before I go too far, in case you don't already know the URL for the guide, you can go to this uh, website, uh, transactionguide.coffee, and download the guide. You'll be asked to submit a little bit of information about your organization. Uh, for us, that's really important because we want to know and understand who is accessing and using this information. Uh, one of the really important things for us throughout this project has been to send surveys out to the users of the information to say, was it helpful? Could it be better? Uh, do you have success stories that come from it? Um, and to be honest, we have targeted producers primarily for this kind of information, knowing and understanding that it is producers we, we really feel we need to empower with this information about how the market values their coffee. So now we're getting into the details, the good stuff here. And again, it's a super simple tool and a super simple presentation of the information. This chart here shows price slopes by quality score for the 2017-18 year. Now, most buyers or sellers of coffee in the room are going to know that as lots get smaller, generally the price gets higher, uh, and the opposite is also true. Um, and so this chart clearly represents that. But within each of those size categories, you can also see how qualities are remunerated or rewarded through the pricing that the market is paying. Now, I'll point out on this slide, there are a couple of weird things. It's primarily those black lines. Um, and that's because there didn't exist a significant enough number of data observations for those 88 plus coffees to have, I think, really good representative data. So someone yesterday pointed out to me that in the, in the last two sections there of this chart, why are the 88s the same or a lower price? And I think that's simply a function of the number of data observations that we had uh, for the guide. So this already on a macro level is good information to the market about how we are rewarding in an aggregate way quality and quantity of coffee. This one, you have to bear with me because it's very confusing and I apologize. But Assume the zero line there represents the $3 FOB median price in the guide. Then for each country, there's a differential. There's a raw, unadjusted, and an adjusted quality or price differential that the market is paying, at least according to the data that we have. So this chart begins to suggest how the markets value more or less 
qualities of coffees coming from different countries in the world. Now again, another caveat saying this is not perfectly representative. This isn't even significantly representative because in this first set of data we had very little Africa data, very little Asia data. And with the next version we will have more. And so this chart should be more uh, accurate and more informative. But you can see from the left, you can see that generally the market pays a higher price for Kenya than it pays for uh, Peru, all the way over there on the, on the right-hand side. And so this starts to give us information as a market of buyers and sellers of coffee, how the stuff we either need to buy or sell is being priced in the market. It also gives us understanding how uh, a country like Kenya is highly prized and valued primarily for its quality coffee, and it's receiving this best price according to the other countries whose data re are represented in the guide. So it, it starts to uh, paint a, a more clear, a more uh, information-rich picture about the value that these different coffees can, uh, can represent. Raw and adjusted, by the way, raw is just the data as it was, uh, the, the, the price information the way that it was. Adjusted accounts for other uh, slight variations and differences in the economics of coffee in those countries uh, to sort of reduce that, uh, that, that differential a little bit. So at the end of the day, what we want this thing to be used for is a new starting place for negotiations. We don't want somebody who's going to buy or sell coffee to say, well, hold on, where's the market today? What do I have to sell this at? We instead want them to look at, okay, how has the market valued this kind of coffee that I have to sell or buy and start there? And through the information that we've gathered in the guide and put out in this first version, it's much better, better being a more equitable earning opportunity, let's say, to start with the information in the guide than with the commodities market. And that's illustrated in these two examples. So the first one is talking about uh, a, a whole container of 83-point Colombian coffee. Uh, you adjust that uh, uh, price uh, using that chart I just showed you with the, with the differential adjustments to give you a, a, a proper starting point, let's say, of $2.32 to start negotiations from Instead of going to the commodities market, uh, it was about a dollar uh, end of the year, uh, and then looking at the differentials that were being paid in Colombia at that time. So we're, 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 we're finding that the guide is showing uh, a more stable and less volatile value for the coffees that we're buying and selling in the market. And we feel like given the fact that we're in the context of this market crisis where we know that the cost to produce coffee uh, is, is oftentimes far in excess of what the market is paying for it, uh, we, we feel like this is really uh, uh, going to be helpful toward the preservation of our, of our supply and our access to the raw materials that we need. The, the second example is the same. It's just a smaller quantity of coffee at a higher point value coming from uh, uh, Guatemala. But you can see that the prices, if you start negotiations in the guide, are uh, much less volatile, much less impacted, um, although still impacted by commodity market pricing. So one of the really exciting things for me, anyway, has been the number of producers 
who have either reached out via social media or came up to me after I made a presentation like this and said, I used the guide to figure out how much I should sell my coffee for, and I got it. And to my mind, this is progress. This is helping us get to a point where we've empowered producers to know what the coffee is worth to the market and given them the wherewithal and the information that they need in order to ask for that price. And so I have Herman from El Salvador as my top example here. He was one of the fellows at RICO in uh, Boston this year. And uh, he came running up to me after I made a presentation about the guide or we were talking about the guide. And uh, he said, this is what he did. I got this price and nobody even balked at it. And what he had done before was sold pretty anonymously to a mill that was just paying basically a commodity market price plus the, the, the expenses or the differential that they, that they need to cover their expenses uh, in El Salvador. And so this is, to, to my mind, this is success. This is beginning to see how this information can empower producers to seek or at least know that that kind of an alternative market exists that would be perhaps a better outcome for them than to just sell generically or anonymously uh, to, to, uh, to a mill. We have in progress right now several surveys which we are, we are analyzing to really learn and understand more deeply how the users of the survey, again, particularly at origin, are finding the information. Um, what could be more useful? Uh, what would be clearer? Um, some of the interesting things that we continue to hear uh, from producers principally is that we need to explain the thing that happens between their farm and FOB. We need to explain and understand the expenses that are associated with that transformation because when a farmer looks at this guide and they see the FOB prices and they know what they have in their pockets from how they sold their coffee, it can be quite a big difference. And some of that big difference is as a result of inefficient commercial trade routes. Uh, some of that big difference is the result of uh, that quality discovery happening not on the farm, but being, you know, an exporter finds, discovers, identifies, and then markets a coffee at a higher quality that the farmer may not even know happened, right? So then the exporter takes that additional value. Uh, and that's the, way this, that's the way this thing has worked historically. Um, what we are trying to do is to share and spread information so that we can all seek more efficiency in ensuring that the money that needs to gets to producers because we believe that they are principally responsible for the production of this quality coffee. And if we want to keep having access to it, we need to maximize what they're getting from that transaction. Uh, we've also uh, had some uh, roaster usage scenarios um, where a couple of roasters, not necessarily data donors who are part of the project, uh, but does that mean anything? Do we have to do anything with that alarm? Or is it just a... All right. Where I live, we would all have to run out, probably. <laughs> um, but so a couple of roasters who are not necessarily in the guide have come up to me and said, uh, this has been incredibly helpful information. In fact, I used this information to 
start and talk to the financial officers at my company about changing the target prices that we can pay because we know we're in the specialty market and we shouldn't be paying prices that are so closely aligned with the commodities market. And so this, again, it starts to be more information, a different set of benchmarks that these roasters can then use to actually change their internal buying practices. I, again, from my personal experience, that would have been so incredibly helpful. I would have spent much less time justifying uh, to, the, to, the, to the board or to the CFO of my company uh, why I was paying what I was paying instead of paying only a dollar on the, on the commodities market. Um, I, I would say an unintended uh, user of this information um, or unexpected, maybe not unintended, but an unexpected user of this information are various projects and capacity building programs who need to know and understand the value of the coffee that they're working on may represent to the market. I personally, as a consultant, have been asked several times by different projects if I could do sort of a market analysis or assessment around how they might value coffee A, B, or C, and now the guide's gonna do that. And so there's a lot of value when you're thinking about implementing a big project in a community where you know you're going to be able to change the quality of the coffee that they produce by, you know, two points, four points, however many points. You can look and understand in the guide whether purchasing behaviors support that kind of an investment. Will it make the difference that you feel like it needs to make for that community? Uh, and so I'm not saying this is a, a litmus test as to whether you should or should not engage in these programs, but this information about what that coffee may be, may be valued at is incredibly useful to these capacity building and quality improvement projects. And then uh, lastly, I see Peter here in front. Peter uh, has been one of our uh, leading uh, starting data donors and so I mean Peter if you would just say a couple of words about um, how and why you use this information at uh, Coffee Collective and why, 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 why is transparency and sharing this information been so much a part of your oh thanks so much a part of your uh, your brand hello my name is Peter Devang uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of the Coffee Collective in Denmark we started our business in 2007 um, from experience in the coffee industry. Felt, uh, we loved really good coffee. Found that sometimes we found some really good coffees in our end of the value chain. Paid good prices for it. But the next year maybe that producer didn't produce the same coffee. Maybe the producer wasn't in business anymore. And we got frustrated as coffee lovers about this this market that we are in our end of the world, loving coffee and sharing that excitement, but the market is obviously not working to, to include the farmers in that value addition, even though we paid high prices to the importers we worked with. So that motivated us to say, we need to look at this market all over. If we want to have good, good coffee in the future, we need to make sure that the ones creating the start of that good, good coffee are benefiting from the good coffee. So that's where, why we have been trying to work a lot with transparency over the years, because if you look at it, a, a market, and a, for it to work, you need transparency. You need every party to, to understand what, a, what are the, the prices for, for different products, 
Uh, and I think the history of the coffee industry is not very transparent. So we need to make some bold steps to make this market work for specialty coffee. That's always been our belief, so we, we support very much every initiative of transparency. And I think this, this is a very effective tool. So we are very happy to, to share our data with the Transaction Guide project. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for letting me call on you. Um, so it, this tool has the potential to become something of a utility, like I said earlier, for the industry. Obviously, commodity coffee, commodity price coffee, commercial volumes and commercial prices are not going to go the way of yesterday. Uh, we will have those things, you know, as long as we have coffee. But I think it's important to recognize that what we're trying to do here is separate specialty quality imparting critical raw material components and understand how we can value those things to maintain access to this raw material that we depend on to make our industry. And we want to make this information accessible and valuable to the people who produce that coffee because we, we also want them to be able to participate in the earnings and in the value generation that this industry has really created um, for, for, for the, for the whole value stream. It's not equitable today, let's say. Uh, there's a lot more money earned on one side of the value chain than the other, um, but we're working on it. So again, just briefly what we know and what we don't know now, um, just some suggested insights from this information. Uh, there is a more equitable value, value discovery that's possible through transparency. The more we all know and understand how we all are valuing these different coffees, the more level the playing field is, the more uh, easy it is to have an information-based negotiation about how we're going to value certain coffees. Again, it's in, it's, it's in, in the producing perspective, it empowers uh, producers and sellers of coffee about what their coffee might be worth to a paying market. Uh, and I'm not saying they're going to get that price necessarily this year or the next year or the year after, but they're going to know the potential exists. They're going to know that the market or a part of the market out there is willing to pay these prices. And so if they're unhappy with their current commercial arrangement, they can look for something else because they know that there is upside opportunity to doing so. We don't yet know if the prices represented by medians in this guide cover things like minimum wage, living wage, or even the cost to produce. We know that we can use this information as the basis for some of those conversations in the future, and we can use that information of, 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 of how these prices compare to uh, best practices cost to produce in uh, Guatemala, for example. We can use that to understand, are we underpaying? for this coffee? Are we supporting living wage or even minimum wage, let alone the cost to produce? Or are we not? We, we, don't, we don't rightly know. Uh, we have uh, w good working hypotheses about different costs to produce in different scenarios. And I know it's different depending on what side of the mountain you're on, what kind of farm you have, what kind of variety you have, the density. I, I get it. I know it's complicated. Um, but this at least gives us all sort of a starting point uh, in which to contextualize that information. And I also think there's some really good potential for future partnerships uh, with things like 
coffee producing institutions in countries where coffee is grown. Those organizations have a sense, a strong sense, of their cost to produce and what farmers need to make on a per hectare basis, for example, um, in order to be whole in order to be profitable, in order to comply with minimum wage and social security laws, in order to invest in their farms. Uh, so we feel like there's the opportunity to, in the future, partner with different organizations in producing countries to really understand what these prices mean in their local contexts. And then one, one I think, super exciting for me anyway, uh, initiative that we have the potential of partnering with and we've been in conversations with is the Global Living Wage Coalition. Living wage is a concept that is increasingly understood and looked for in consumer goods. Um, there is a whole lot of work being done to measure and understand what living wage requirements are in, in, in certain countries. In most instances, that requirement exceeds minimum wage because it covers things like uh, health care, education, uh, ba basic needs. It's, it's not just uh, uh, subsistence. It's not just the, the, the minimum wage, which in, in some cases isn't covering uh, these things. And so we feel like there's really good potential for future collaborations where people already have come to us and said, we would love to use the information, the guide to uh, decide X, Y, or Z. And we're saying, whoa, don't, don't do that yet because we don't have enough information in this guide. We're just starting and we are looking to formalize and understand uh, how representative we are or are not um, of, the, of the market. Um, but we do believe this has future potential of, of being a, a good uh, decision-making tool for, for the industry for all of these different reasons. So a couple of things that are coming up next year. We have our first annual meeting of data donors. We gathered uh, last year is in Germany, in Hamburg. We, we gathered uh, for Emory hosts an annual transparency colloquium. And last year is really where we started to talk about this idea of a transaction guide uh, with the people who attended that. And so uh, this June, it'll be a year later, we'll assemble many of those same people, uh, many of whom decided to be data donors themselves. And so we'll have our first annual meeting with those data donors to know and understand uh, what we can do to think about our future. What are the improvements we need to make? What are the things that we need to anticipate in terms of the way people will doubt us? What are the things that people will say, oh, this isn't representative, this is just a small little thing that's talking about just the fancy uh, highfalutin roasters. What, what, what are the things that we need to be doing and working toward to really contextualize how fancy or rare we really are? Uh, because we want to be able to answer that to those skeptics. We want this tool to be uh, utilized and embraced as another source of information instead of looked at skeptically. So we're getting the data donors together in our annual meeting. We're looking to expand the roster of data donors. We're just now, uh, we just closed uh, onboarding of additional data donors. We almost doubled the number. So we had 21 in December. Uh, I think we are right now to 39 or 40. 
and so we have double the amount of donors, and uh, that's going to change the information in the guide. And for us, it's super interesting to think about uh, how it changes depending on who comes in and how they're buying their coffee. Um, but again, information, information. It starts different conversations that makes us broach topics uh, a little bit differently. We are in the process of uh, fundraising, uh, trying to secure uh, uh, funds to cover our initial three-year plan. And during this three years, we need to do things like formalize a steering committee that eventually turns into an advisory board. We need to implement other systems of governance uh, and other uh, procedures and protocols that we believe are going to be super important in order to make this tool a proper utility for the industry and not just a research project that's coming out of the of the university. So if you know of any funders, you know you can let me you can let me know. <laughs> um, we also are tracking and supporting usage in conversations, uh, and we are tracking uh, and reporting on usage via the surveys that we send out frequently um, to learn and understand uh, and, and evolve the, the tool as, as we get more information about how it's being used. We will publish data briefs and research projects. Um, so, as an example, one of the things that might come out of this is a partnership with one of these coffee-producing country institutions that would allow us to articulate to, uh, through the guide how we are or are not covering some of these important costs that we need to cover in different countries. Um, and this is super important, and I just received feedback this morning that it was slightly underplayed uh, in the way that we talk about the guide. But it's really important for us that one of the things we work on while we're creating this information or providing this information is an improved business capacity at origin. And for us, that means that through the, we, we've done, uh, I think it was one two-part pilot workshop in Guatemala, and we'll do a follow-up version of that uh, in October. And what we did is we worked with a group of farmers about really learning and understanding and owning their own numbers, whether they were a farmer of five hectares or uh, 25 or 100 hectares. I mean, we, we talked to them all about their own numbers and their own business and how could they further economize or be more efficient producers? What are the things that they could do to maximize what they earn from their coffee? And then we also added to that a component of uh, people need to own and curate their own stories. We see so many times in specialty coffee that the quality discovery happens not on the farm, but it happens somewhere else. And then a story is made up about that coffee. It's not necessarily the, star, the story of the person from whom that coffee is coming. And we believe that it was important for, for them to own and curate their own stories in order to access alternative markets and have different conversations about what their coffee might be worth. And then the last component of that is how they would use the guide in that context according to what they produced. We all cupped their coffee and analyzed their coffee, gave them quality scores so they kind of knew where they would fall in the guide. And so we said, all right, given this information, what will you do? And I would say a, a, a surprising thing is that some of the larger farmers who maybe weren't producing the best quality coffee, but they were producing several containers of it, 
they could see that the market wasn't really valuing their coffee, according to this information, in a way that they could make it a viable business. So some of these farmers, there were three large farmers, there was a whole range, but there were, I'm thinking about this because it was actually the three large farmers who said at the end of the workshop, this has been very helpful. I, each one of them said very passionately how sad they felt that this was sort of their reality check. This was sort of real information that they hadn't really had before about how the market values their coffee. And if they knew and understood that the market wasn't going to be able to value it, at least according to this information, in a way that would cover their cost to produce, which they've already economized, they've already cut as many things as they could, if it wasn't going to do that, then they needed to think about doing something else. And fortunately for these, it was three women, they all had other sources of income. And so they could think this way. Um, conversely then, some of the smallholders who had super high quality coffee could know and understand that if in the guide the price for FOB on their coffee said $4 and they were delivering their coffee to an intermediary or a coyote on the street and they weren't getting that, they could, they could change their lives. They could look for a different market partner, find a different outlet for their coffee and get a price more closely aligned to that in the guide, just using this information. And so it's that kind of capacity building at origin that we're really looking to move forward with uh, based on the information that's in the, in the guide. So this is just a quick preview about the update of the guide that's gonna come out at the end of this month. Uh, a group of us, data donors and, and folks on the inside will have the opportunity to look at it in advance to make sure that uh, we're comfortable with the information, particularly comfortable with how it changed from year to year. Um, are there different ways to analyze and look at the data? Uh, all these different things. But so in this will be at least 17 more data donors. Um, which is super exciting. There's a lot of appetite to contribute to this thing, uh, contribute data anyway. Um, there are more uh, 10,000 observations. After we redact some, there'll be a couple, bit, a, a couple less. Um, and by redacting, I mean duplicates, for example. We have, <laughs> among our data donors, we can have an exporter and an importer and a roaster who all work together. So of course, we can only count that contract once. So we have to do no small amount of uh, data redactions. <clears throat> and then improved geographical representativeness. I, I, I mentioned this. Um, we feel like we're going to have a better sense of what different parts of the world, uh, uh, what, what, what value they represent to the market. And at the same time, we're gaining information about what different markets are willing to pay for coffee generally. I don't think it's probably a big surprise to the producers in the room that the Australia-Asia region of the world pays a higher price than the United States and Europe. I think that's been a known thing to producers for quite some time. And uh, we're also seeing that information corroborated in the, in, in, in the information that we have coming out in the, in the guide. And then we have, uh, I won't say this is bad news, but this is where it starts to get interesting. We're starting to see and understand how these big volume blender type coffees are very closely priced to the commodities market. And so we're seeing pricing come out in the guide, median pricing for these categories, that is by most understanding of cost to produce below that cost to produce. 
And so you can look at the guide and the numbers for yourself when you download it and make those decisions for yourself. But that is something that I think will lead to different conversations for us. It is a perfect example of how we as a specialty coffee community may take that charge and say, well, let's, let's acknowledge that in order to call ourselves specialty, we have to be talking about not just quality, but a certain kind of ethic a certain kind of terms of trade in order to support this thing that we want to keep having around and keep all of us uh, earning money from. So I think with that, uh, I open the floor to any questions or comments or criticisms. Uh, now bear in mind, I am not the researcher, uh, but I know this information. I'm familiar with how it's coming out. Uh, I'm familiar with the project. Uh, and I, I personally, as an industry participant, want to know and understand what could be better. What, how, how, uh, how could we improve this tool? What are the things maybe we aren't thinking of? Uh, some of the things that have come up are, are you going to certify that if someone says a quality is a quality, it is a quality? No, not, not gonna. Um, I think we need to rely on the system that's in place. It's an imperfect system, but we are supposedly as an industry speaking a similar language around quality and points and how we evaluate different qualities. We are not uh, going to be confirming that uh, information in the guide. We are, again, presenting information. That was one of the many lectures we hosted at World of Coffee Berlin last June. Remember to check out our show notes for relevant links, including a link to worldofcoffee.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA's podcast 2019 World of Coffee Lecture Series, supported by listeners like you. Thank you for joining us.